Hi there, and thanks for stopping by. This is Heroes in Our Midst, a podcast project aimed at finding the human behind every story we help to tell. The human behind the performance and to recognize how essential it is to be okay with what is on the inside. Today's guest hits close to home for me because Lauren Coral is a man of faith, a faith that I was brought up with. He works with the Christian organization called Athletes in Action. But what I'm most excited about, I think, is for you to listen to him share from the heart, the love and compassion he has for the athletes he spends time with. To me, he seems to live by the mantra, what would Jesus do? He would love first. Not always the Christianity you have the pleasure to hear about. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And as chaplain for some of the top athletes in our province, well, our country, and even in the world of professional sport, he has spent countless hours building relationship and sharing faith. But faith alone has not made Lauren's life easy or perfect. His struggles with mental health are real and recent. And yet he continues to be thankful to God for the position he believes that God has put him in. Lauren, such an honor to have you as one of our heroes and our guest. Maybe to start, tell us what you're doing now and what teams you're involved with as we speak. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. I really appreciate it. It's an absolute honor and a blessing and a privilege to be here to, to serve and to, um, to help you guys out with this podcast. And I'm really humbled by it. Um, I serve as the chaplain for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Manitoba Moose. And as an extension of that, now I have um, what's called True North Chapel for the True North front office. That's the ownership and management group for the Winnipeg Jets and the Manitoba Moose. And just over the last few months, I also have the Winnipeg Jets alumni and friends. So um, I'm really blessed to be able to work with some incredible people and uh, who, who, who either know the Lord or want to get to know him better. And, and so I'm just... God has just placed me in a wonderful spot where I can kind of stand in the gap. Many of our, you know, I'll go into more detail later, but you know, we, we with athletes in action, we bring church to the athletes because they practice and play every day, mostly Sundays as well, as you very well know, as a high performance athlete yourself. And so, yeah, so it's, it's a privilege to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, you know what, what I remember from, from being an athlete and, and when athletes in action, I mean, I grew up in the church. I grew up, you know, with a certain faith that my parents uh, instilled in me and then became my own and, and all of that. But I, I remember distinctly feeling like faith and sport could not go together. Mm. I, I wanted to kill the people on the other side of the net. That didn't seem like a very Christian-like attitude to me from yeah. what we hear in the mainstream of, you know, what God and love is all about. Um, so, I mean, how, how do you, when someone comes to you and says, what are you doing, sport and faith? Why do they need to go together? Like, why is this even mm. important? Well, it's great. It's a great question, Michelle. And, you know, with Athletes in Action, we, we, um, we focus on a total athlete. So when I have a team meeting with, with each of the teams before the season starts, um, I, I have, they gave me the opportunity to have a few minutes just with the entire team. And, and, and I say that with Athletes in Action, we focus on the total athlete. That's the, the physical side, the mental side, and the spiritual side. We've got phenomenal coaches who do a great job with the physical and the mental side and we're here to help with the spiritual side and to try to maybe work together with the other groups and bring it, bring it all together. So maybe, you know, quote unquote, maybe spiritual coaches just to try and help out with that side of the game. Cause 
one of the things is now that the 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 nat the Canadian uh, Center for Sport in Canada has actually recognized spirituality as one of its tenets of its mission statement. So they understand that there's a need for some level of spirituality. So we we fully we knew that already, but now it endorses kind of what we're what we're doing. So when a guy like Dave Johns goes and works with high performance volleyball players or you know in, in different parts of the world via Zoom or Skype, he can say to them, look you know, this is part of our, our tenant here in, in Canada. And, and so, and of course, all our programs are optional. So just nobody's pushed, this is not pushed on anybody, but really, we really believe that the total athlete, it's so important that we want to develop the, the best person we can develop so that they're going to be able to thrive, not only on the court or on the ice or the field, but also off, off the court and off the field so that they can just be better people in, in general. Well, for sure. And if we think about high level sport, I mean, that is so much when we're in that environment, that is our life. And if, you know, if we're digging deep, so to speak, well, what is down deep? And if there's nothing there or we don't know, mm. um, I, I could see that's where sometimes an athlete would come to you and go, I don't know what I've got down there. Well, well sure. Like, of course, ours is a Christ centered program. So I'll just rewind a bit. I used to work in baseball. I used to serve as a technical director for Baseball Canada. And when I, when I left there, um, I was burnt out from baseball. I, I, I just couldn't, I came back here, worked for Manitoba baseball for a few years, but I was done. And, um, and at that point I, I, I made a choice that I was going to uh, accept Christ into my life as my Lord and savior. And it was the best thing that I ever did in 1998. Uh, that's another story in and of itself that we may get into later. But, but when I did that, one of the first things that Dave Johns, who's my mentor said to me from athletes in action was you identify with baseball you become the baseball guy. So people know you as the baseball guy. So he said, you, we need to strip that identity from you before we do anything. So he took me through a discipleship program. He took, took me through a book called um, Bondage Breakers. And really, and, and really what it talked about was who you are in Christ determines what you do as opposed to what you do determines who you are. And that was such a freeing thing that I didn't have to shoulder this burden. And I was a baseball guy. So quote unquote, not the guy, but a guy. And so it was, and, then, and from there, Dave said, well, you know what? Hey, we need someone to help the gold eyes. And I said, Hey, hold the phone. I just, I just started this stuff and you don't know, no, we'll bench mention you. So a couple of years later, I'm working with the gold eyes and I ended up being their chaplain for 12 years. And it was, it was awesome because then I had freedom to experience the love of my sport in a completely different way. Um, you know, baseball Canada, working with, you know, uh, International Baseball Association and stuff like I felt I was kind of making my contribution, so to speak. But now I really felt now I'm really serving the Lord. So it was a completely different way. So when we when we talk to athletes like that, when we tell them that they're serving Christ first and and, and as they do that, they're going to have the love and the joy of their sport. So I'm walking through Mark Shifley, actually, with the, the exact same program, the exact same discipleship book that Dave took me through. And, and, you know, Mark, I'm a very remarkable guy. Like during the pandemic, we went hard into this discipleship. Like we met once every two weeks, an hour at a time. He'd have a three hour assignment to take back. And I didn't mark it or anything, but he'd come back. He'd have to tell me his answers. Right. And so we go through it like and, you know, so, you know, I think it's, it's you can just see in him how he understands he's got a far greater purpose than you know, we, I send guys to devotionals, all my players, current and former, a devotional from Rick Warren from Saddleback Church. Um, he's the mm -hmm. author of 
you know, uh, Purpose Driven Life, the largest selling Christian book of all time. And in the very first line of his book, it says, it's not about me. And so I try to tell the guys, it's not about us. It's all about him. And we can compete and we can work hard. We can grind and we can have joy in our sport, but we're not slaves to our sport. And um, so it's, it's really, it gives them a freeing feeling of, wow, like I can compete and love it. I mean, you probably felt that Michelle at times yourself, like, man, like I got to, I got to make the national team. I, I'm, and we heard your story. I remember when you spoke at our daughters in talking about impacting my daughter's playing in team, uh, uh, sport hockey Manitoba's Bantam challenge. And you were the guest speaker at their banquet and it impacted her. And she's still to this day, you know, remembers that. And, but I imagine you, you probably felt those pressures yourself. Mm-hmm. When you're so focused on what you're doing and every day as an athlete, we're focused on what we're doing. We're putting in the reps. We've got to be better than the next person beside us or else we won't play or, you know, or the coach will get upset. And once you get into a national team, you're wondering what will the entire country yeah. think of you? And mm. I mean, it, it, even as ridiculous as it sounds, I mean, you feel, and when you don't, when you don't have a gold medal to put around your neck, you could feel completely worthless mm. because then you haven't done what you were supposed to do. And I think my experience uh, with athletes in action, even after knowing a life of faith to a certain point. I didn't understand that. And that took it sort of to the next level for me. It's who you are, not what you do. And Mm. I think that's what faith teaches us because it's about that whole person. So you've talked a little bit about uh, what some things you've been doing with like Shifley, which is super cool. Um, So there must be, obviously there's different levels to what you do. You know, what does a chaplain do every day? What does a day in the life of you look like? Yeah, well, now it's it's become like, you know, all over Zoom now, you know, during the pandemic, like when it hit last March, I was working with the Jets and the Moose and and also True North Chapel while we were meeting about once every two weeks. Okay. And that was a, that's a, on average what in hockey, that's just the way their schedules Jets have got 82 games. It's crazy to try to pin them down. And but when we, the pandemic hit, we met every week for I think it was like 13 weeks straight. We met every single week all three of those groups and they were dialed in even the moose when they got eliminated there's four guys that wanted to still keep meeting because they felt you know what i need this right now mm-hmm. so what i do is on a regular basis like just saying we're go let's go back to pre-pandemic when i'm working with the data bombers is a great example because they got a, a rhythmic uh schedule so on a weekly basis i'll do a player's bible study which is of course all these are optional and then and then also do a coach's bible study i'll do a um game day uh, chapel for the visiting team and then I'll also do a game day chapel for our team so a lot of people say like how, how can you do a chapel for the visiting team so their guy Trevor Harris from the Eskimos will text me and say hey Lauren can you come and do a chapel at the Fairmont at 11 a.m and so I I will say sure I'll do it and I don't give them a very good one though no I'm just kidding <laughs> but uh, but I you know I, I go and I you know I give them a chapel and it's kind of nice to see if I was such a small league that you get to know the guys right so on a game day, I'll do a chapel for them. I'll come back. I'll do our our Bombers Chapel game day two and a half hours before. I'll do a pregame prayer with, the, with you know, 30, 30 40 guys that will want to pray, pray before a game. And then I'll be on the sidelines with the team. And, and then I'll do what I find is the most fulfilling thing is after the game in the CFL, we do what's called prayer at the fifty. And prayer at the 50, you may have seen it on TV, is when both teams, whoever's available and whoever wants to, will get in a circle and we join hands and we pray. It's amazing to see guys who are like banging heads and football is a violent sport. And yet at the end of the game, they can just stop 
they can shake hands, hug each other, and then take a knee. And we just do a quick, like maybe 30, 40 second prayer to honor and glorify God and thank him for the safety and for safe travels and that sort of thing. And it's amazing that, that the guys can do that. So I do that post game. Then I go into the dress room after the coach finishes talking, I do the Lord's prayer, but I don't do it. The, all, all the guys say it, the entire team, which is kind of cool that we can still do the entire team does that. We all take a knee, the entire team, whoever doesn't want to say it doesn't have to, but mm-hmm. the majority of guys do. And that's kind of the life in a week of a, the bombers, um, the jets and the moose are a little more chaotic because their schedules all over the place. So every couple of weeks, I'll have a hybrid Bible study and uh, chapel with them because I don't have as many opportunities with them as I do with the football club. So, but yeah, so that's what I kind of do. Like I, I do a combination of chapels, which are more of a teaching, like more like a sermon. That's a game day thing. Like, so like the bombers on game day, like they don't want to interact, like they're dialed in. Right. And I think sometimes they're looking right through me. Like they're like thinking, okay, the guy that I'm lining up against, he's going to be trying to get me or I'm trying to get him. But, you know, I'm there and they want a little home cooking before the game. They want just someone to kind of settle them down and maybe give them a hug or pray with them after if they want a little extra prayer. And and so we do that on game day. And, you know, so and then the same thing that, you know, with the Jets in in hockey, you're not allowed to do anything on game day. NHL rules is so I do everything. I try to do it like the day before the game because I know we'll always have a skate that day because there's so many optional skates now because guys are banged up. So that the day before we know there's likely, likely a, a practice that day. There's as long as we didn't play the night before. So then that's, that's kind of where the way it works for me. And uh, yeah. And uh, you know, the other things I do from time to time, or sadly I do, I've done, I think I've done eight funerals in the last 10 years with the bombers. And, and um, so for either staff or people related to the team and, but you know, the God time I do a wedding, so it's not all doom and gloom, but uh <laughs> So you just do everything, grief counseling. Um, we're just taking a suicide prevention training right now, uh, Athletes in Action, because we really know it's important that to try to stand in a gap. And we're not, we're not equipped for all that stuff. But if we can at least know where to point people, then that's kind of our role. For sure. You know, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking of all these guys saying the Lord's Prayer and how you say right off the hopper, Athletes in Action, it's a Christ-centered organization. Mm -hmm. And some might think, and I'm thinking right now, man, you go into a professional team, guys from all over, sometimes all over Mm -hmm. the world, let's be honest, the different walks of faith that they come from, they may not call it Christ-centered, but they are still interested in sort of Mm -hmm. the spiritual side of of themselves. And if they're bringing all of themselves to the table, that's part of it. How do you address that, Lauren? Like, I am the way, the truth, and the life seems very sort of one way and one way only. And, you know, some people might question that and might wonder, how do you go in and, and work with everyone and be open to everyone? Yeah, well, you know, that's a great question, Michelle. And really, we did, I always say, I just love on anybody on that team. Mm. So I've had Muslim players with the Bombers before I've had, and I've had some great relationships with them. I, I've had Jewish players on the Gold Eyes. I've had, like, you, you name it. Like, I've had a little bit of everything, atheists, whoever. And to me, I'm going to love on them because I, I don't like to play bait and switch. Like, I'm not going to try to, Hey, I get to know you. And then all of a sudden I'm going to hit you over there with the Bible and here you go. Mm-hmm. Cause we really believe in, in just developing high trust, authentic relationships and let the Lord do the work. Right. And um, we, we had an evangelistic trainer a couple of years ago that talked to us about 20 touches that on average, it'll take someone 20 touches to get to know the Lord. Billy Graham used to say it would take almost six or seven times for someone to hear him speak before it really 
got to the point where he wanted to give his life. Some people, of course, the first time they hear him, but so we just, when you think of 20 touches, it takes the pressure off us, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Drake, Drake Nevis, my chapel leader for the Bombers for the last few years, he's in Toronto now, but he's like, he was voted the top Christian athlete in 2019. He ruined the Grey Cup. I mean, he's like, like he's having Gretzky on your team in terms of Christian leaders. And Drake would just look at me and go, 20 touches. And he'd walk away, right? And like, you know, some guy would talk, you know, like he, he would, it wasn't like we were kind of keeping tabs, but he would just kind of say to me, you know, remember like God does, does the work and it, it allows us to just love people and just be, just be the love of Christ. And then that way, let God, it, it takes a lot of pressure off because sometimes when I first started with Athens in Action, like there was some people in the organization, not our organization, but, but say Campus Crusade or whatever, that kind of said, you get on a plane and by the time it lands, you got to maybe bring that person to the Lord. And I'm like, man, like, that's not me. That's just not me. I don't like that pressure. If I have a wondering conversation with them and it happens to go that way, well, then, then I'll do it. But if it doesn't happen, I know there's 19 other people that are going to have possibly impact that person. So that was really freeing for me. So, so yeah, so we, we basically, to answer your question, yeah, we just love on anybody and, and respect them and honor them for what they believe. And, and I think that's, that's the way that, that Christ would want us to be. Are you surprised that you're still allowed to do this in the climate that we're in right now? Are you at, at all surprised that you're allowed to go in and share your faith as you mm-hmm. share it? You know, each and every day that we are allowed to do it and that we do it, we're absolutely blessed. Every time I walk through those doors, Dave Johns taught me to pray. First, he, he pray, teach me to pray for a hedge protection from the enemy who really didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't want us to be there, mm-hmm. uh, being Satan. And and also to just pray for the Holy Spirit to allow us to to just direct our guide our steps and just know where to be, what to do, who to say it to and when. So yes, at times I'm surprised with the way society has gone. But at the same time, I see society kind of making a shift now. The pandemic's done that, right? The pandemic has made people really stop and think and pivot. And every talks about pivot, right? I think people are stopping and, and really pausing and in the pause thinking, what's important to me? So to me, the climate is kind of there. Now, we, we know like if we were to get blocked or whatever, well, God, God will find a way for us to work with them. Maybe it's at a Tim Hortons coffee shop. I don't know where it would be like it off premises or whatever it may be, we're not going to stop doing what we do. We're not going to stop serving guys. Like, I mean, we've proven it here. Like we're, we're meeting over zoom, like with all the guys and all the teams and all the leagues. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, there's a way to do it. So, yeah. So sometimes we're surprised, but we're, we're cautiously optimistic that God is at, at work and that every day that we can do it, we're blessed. I think a lot of us think once you've made it to the pros, then you should be okay. You should, that's what you were aiming for. You've got it all figured out. Basically they're like superheroes to us, especially in sports like hockey and football. I mean, these big tough guys really like how soft can their hearts be? Maybe speak to that and, and what you're finding, how real these human beings are. They have all the the hurts, habits and hangups that we have. Right. And every, you know, like people, like, like I often say that at that team meeting at the start of the year, when I'm blessed by the organizations to say, okay, Lauren, here's your chance. You're five minutes. You tell him what you're going to say. And I tell them a little bit of what I'm going to do, but I always remind them that my role is to help where real life gets in the way of pro sports. So like someone's got an aunt that's sick or someone's got a marriage that, that's in trouble or whatever it may be, or someone's dying or whatever the, the th- situation is. We all have crisis, different things. I'm there to help the entire team. I'm not, doesn't matter whether you're a chapel guy or not. 
I'm there to help. So if, if you want, I'm not saying you have to come to me, but if you decide you want to come to me for counseling or whatever, I'm more than happy to be a listening ear. And what people tend to forget is these guys are just human, right? I mean, and, and like, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's, and, and they're on, a, their platform is so big, especially in a place like Winnipeg, who's a amazing sport. I think it's the greatest sports town in, in Canada, maybe North America. And our fans are so amazing, but at the same time, there's a lot of pressure that goes with it. I mean, when we were taking that great cup run. I mean, there was a lot of pressure to win it. The drought was a long time. So when we got in the playoffs, we were an underdog, but as we got closer, it's like, Hey, you know, the fans could taste it. We could taste it. And so just allowing the guys to try to remove that, that pressure, but that's just pressure of playing. The, the pressure I was talking about is all the other off the field pressures, like for the CFL players this year, like, well, I bet, I guess I better get another job right now. Cause I, I need to do something. Right. So they're human. They're, they're totally human. Like the, like the rest of us. And that's where, that's where I come in and just try to be, just try to be a friend that way. Like in a sense that I don't care how you're doing on the ice or on the field. Like I don't care whether the guy is the, is the practice roster guy that never gets to play or the guy is the superstar. Like it, it, it doesn't matter to me. They're all equal. And that's the way Christ looks at all of us. Right. So, yeah. So they, that's just trying to meet them where they are and, and trying to help them with, with those, those problems. Like I said, that's where the, you know, the, the funerals or, or different things that, that come in and grief counseling or whatever. So we just kind of try to try to help. And, and what a lot of trust must be involved. I mean, I think a lot of these guys probably don't feel like they have someone they can tell because if they tell some people um, a real personal story, I guess that that must take time too to build that trust that what they share with you stays yeah. with you. And, and that's as far as it goes. Yeah, it, it's all about developing a high trust, genuine, authentic relationship where they know that if they come to me and they share something that they don't want to be shared with anybody else, they know that it's a vault. It's going to stay there. And I have friends and people I run into that ask me, what do you know about the, you know, I just, well, you know, you probably know as much as I do. You watch the, read the papers, don't you? You watch the, listen to the news. But meanwhile, I may know stuff. I can't say anything. Right. I mean, because I, I have to respect the player and the coach or whoever it is, the organization with privileged information. And once they trust you, then they can confide in you. Um, and it takes, it takes years, right? Like there's guys that I've worked with, like, like I think of like Shifley and Lowry and Morrissey. I've had those guys for a long time, those, those guys. And so now it's a little easier when, you know, if, if they want to talk about something, it's a little bit, little, little bit easier. Whereas Bombers, our, our roster rotates so quickly, right? I may get a guy, he's just a new guy, right? So it takes him like three quarters of the year before he figures out that maybe I'm, you know, I'm not going to, lead them down the wrong path, or maybe I'm going to, I'm a good guy to trust, you know, that kind of thing. So it, yeah, it's, yeah. So that level of trust is, is really important. Now being a chaplain in sport, I mean, there are pastors and churches, there are leaders in different religions and they don't necessarily connect with sort of a specific field like sport. Were you always involved in sport? Did you love sport? Like, is that why this works for you? I'm much like you, Michelle. I, I, I played football, hockey, baseball growing up and, I played baseball at, a, at Team Manitoba, that kind of, and didn't quite make the national team, but I played Team Manitoba. So I, you know, I was really blessed to have, you know, a decent go at it. And, and I, I really loved it. And I fell in love with it so much that I actually, my first, um, I went to Red River for business administration. I took accounting because I thought I wanted to be an accountant, but then I realized I want to be in sport. So then I went back to U of M. I took recreation studies, sport management, because I realized so I worked in accounting for a couple of years. I realized, man, like I want to work with people. I want to work in sport. And 
So that's what I did. And so I went and worked in sport and that's how I got involved with Baseball Canada. I had a baseball background. I'd worked for manageable baseball in the summer jobs and stuff. And, and yeah, so that's how I got involved. And I just love it. You know, this job is perfect for me because like I eat, sleep and drink sport, right? I mean, I love other things too, but you know, for me, I sometimes have to watch other things. Like I love the Blue Jays still because they're not my guys. Right. So like, I don't want to, it's just someone that I can watch that I don't have to focus on someone that I know or, or that kind of thing. Right. So that's, I've always been heavily involved in, in sport. Um, my daughter played um, up to, you know, she didn't quite make team until, but, but in, in hockey, she had a really good hockey career played in junior league. So I coached her for many years. And that was a really highlight for me was being able to, you know, I loved coaching baseball, but being able to coach my daughter in hockey was really, I cherished all those moments. And, you know, it's funny because my wife, you know, my bride, Heather, like, geez, I didn't take sport in high school. I said, well, it wasn't a course. It was just what you did. Right. And so, so that's kind of a running joke, but she loves sport. Now she watches the, the teams. Like she knows the stories, not that I tell her stories, but she just knows she watches all the storylines and who's doing what. And so it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Like that. Yeah, so sports really definitely in my blood, but now it's in, a different way because through throughout the connection because i'll tell you a story so i'm working as a summer student for manitoba baseball back this is like i think it was 1986 and um, team canada is coming in town and they're going to play an exhibition game against toronto blue jays and they're playing at the old winnipeg stadium and they've converted the old stadium into a baseball the, the old football stadium into a baseball park for one night this is before the gold eyes were playing and so uh, my assignment was there to work the dugout for Manitoba baseball to work the Blue Jays dugout and just make sure they had everything basically be a gopher. And so I'm standing there in this little baseball Manitoba suit. I'm super excited to meet all these high profile Toronto Blue Jays who I've watched and idolized and I couldn't wait to meet them, but it was an off day for them. They're playing this exhibition game that they don't really want to play. They come to the city. They, they don't really want to be there. Most of them. Right. And it's like, Oh my gosh. And they're big leaguing me. Like they're walking by me. Like I'm not even there. All of a sudden one guy, he stops by and he says to me, Hey, how you doing? And I said, great. And so where do you work? Oh, Manitoba baseball. He's what's your name? Oh, where'd you play? Oh, he's I'm telling him all this stuff. This guy's really like, he's like really cares about me. And I'm like, Holy crow. He says, would you like a autograph? I go, Oh, that'd be awesome. He says, would you like an autograph ball? Yeah, sure. Well, how about the whole team? I said, Sure. So he comes back later with the autograph ball, whole team. I look for his name and his name is Kelly Gruber. I look at the ball and it says, I'm looking at it. It's kind of scribbled, right? I go room 109, Kelly Gruber room 109. I'm thinking like, is this guy inviting me back to his room? And I go, Oh man. So I'm kind of, I go back home and my mom takes the ball and she says, and I, I grew up as, as a Catholic, um, but I never gave my life to Christ. And so I kind of, knew a little bit my, my mom says you dummy that's romans 10 9 it, you know that's the verse of salvation and i says really and so my mom thought oh great because i was kind of my life was kind of going sideways at that time and i was young and i was my off-field stuff was a little too too much right and so she thought maybe maybe this is the time but it took 12 years for that seed to germinate and 12 years later i gave my life to the lord um but i really believe that Kelly planted that seed by signing that ball. And now if I ever, if a kid ever asked me to sign something, the odd time I'm with a player and they'll say, hey, can you sign? And I'll sign Rom 10-9 because of that, because you never know. Right. So that's kind of my, my story of, of God was good with me, even though like, you know, I was about to, you know, from that time on, I went through a divorce and 
but I have a great relationship with my daughter and my, you know, my life was kind of unraveling, but then I, you know, then I gave my life to the Lord and I'm not saying it's all, it's all perfect by any means, because it actually would became harder in some ways because I'm also a mental health consumer. I'm mild bipolar now that, that I know now at the time I didn't, I just knew I had some depression and I think that maybe over the years I'd been self-medicating with alcohol. I was never an alcoholic, but I drank socially with, you know, after games and stuff. And then, um, you know, as time went on, my, even after I accepted Christ, my depression got worse. And I was like, like, this is, something's wrong here. Like, I just, you know, I'm an, I'm super pumped. I'm, I have the Lord in my life, but I'm still not feeling good. So I started seeing a, a psychiatrist and he prescribed me medication, which was an absolute blessing. I, he's a Christian psychiatrist. He's a, he's not a Christian psychiatrist. He's a Christian who happens to be a psychiatrist. So he understands what I'm, what I'm talking about kind of thing when I tell my issues or whatever. And that's been freeing because as a mental health consumer, um, you know, sometimes well, I go to a church called the meeting place in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And, and when I first went to the meeting place in, it would have been like 1998, when I gave my life to the Lord in December 98. Here I'm at the meeting place. One of the first things I, I, I learned is there's a, a support group called peace and freedom from depression and anxiety. I go to this little group. There's like five people and the guy leading it, who actually ends up turning out, he works for the schizophrenia association. He says, if anybody tells you that, that you have mental health because you're not praying enough, you're not reading the Bible enough, it's not true. He says, it's just because you have a mental illness. That was the most freeing thing anybody ever told me, you know, fast forward 2015, I find out I'm bipolar. The way I find out is I end up in McEwen center here in, uh, in Winnipeg for um, a month. Um, so again, praise God, Heather, my, my, my bride, Heather was there for me and helped me through that. My doctors were there and even some of the players and the bombers came and saw me. I mean, it was just so amazing. Like in Mark Chipman from the, from the jets would say, Lauren, hey, don't worry. Like you're good. Like whatever you need, you take your time. And, you know, so when people like that, like are, are there behind you, the bombers are great. The jets are great. The players are great. And then, you know, I was able to heal. So it's been a healing process. And, you know, I, I still think God's still doing a work on me. And, um, you know, I've wanted that thorn to be removed. I, you know, I, I think of Paul and how he had a thorn that he wanted to be removed. I've wanted this to be removed. But I realized maybe me telling my story that I'm a mental health consumer, maybe to help one person. Maybe it'll just help one person to say, hey, I, I need help. And it's okay. Like my aunt once said to me, God makes all the medication, like, God, God invented the people to have the brilliance to create medication. So it's okay. Like, would I want to be off medication? Sure. But the fact that I'm on, I'm okay with that because it helps me, helps be me, mm-hmm. me. So, um, so that's a little bit about my, my life and my background. And, you know, so since 15, like, you know, I've, I've been every year, it's got a little bit better and I, and I feel good and God has blessed me and allowed me to continue to do what I do. And it kind of makes you kind of reset, right? Hard reset. Cause I was probably, I was probably going way too fast and trying to do way too many teams. And now I got a guy, Scott Coop does the goal lights for me. I got a, a new guy, a wonderful young man named Denny Michelle Thibault. He does the Valor FC for me. Um, I got Henry Newfeld does the Winnipeg ice and the Winnipeg blues. And so God is good, right? Like we can't do it all on our own, Michelle, you, you know that. I mean, mm-hmm. we can only do so much. And for me, I end up in the hospital. I mean, so I realize now I, I got to take care of myself because if I don't, it'll end up getting sick. So, so yeah, so that's a little bit about my background. 
You know, Lauren, I think it's so powerful that you share how, I think society, we look at certain people and we put them in certain places. That's what we do. And we think, oh, well, Lauren Coral is the chaplain. He must have it all figured out and things must work out and God takes care of him. So no wonder he tells us to believe in this God of his, but your life's so not perfect and you have challenges every day. And yet that brings me back to It's who you are, not what you do. However, that looks for us. I love that you are there for, for yes, these high profile athletes, but these, these human beings who have become your friend, some of them came to see you in the hospital. Some of them understand. And now you have given us license to really be ourselves in this context, which is why we need to sort of look inside and find out who we are even more so. Rick Warren wrote the other day in um, this Daily Hope that I sent out to some, all my players. It goes to almost 200 players now over the years. We've got so many guys and yeah. uh, we email it every morning. And truth be told, my wife gets up early with me. So she, she sends the email. So so when the guys say, hey, was it, when I read the email, it was really good. I said, well, thank Heather, because she sent it, right? And But, you know, so he said the other day, he said, God, we're all broken. We're all, we all have pieces. We're broken, but God gives us peace through the pieces, through the broken pieces. And I thought, wow. And for me, where I turn for that is I know that Christ is there to pick up the pieces and try and puts them all together. I may not be perfect. I might not be the right shape or the right form. I'm different from you. You're different from me. We're all different. But at the end of the day, he picks up the pieces and knowing that he does that gives me hope. And, and, and that it's not about me because if I have to figure it all out, man, I'm not smart enough. <laughs> I don't have the emotional capacity because I tell my players all the time, kind of the mantra is let go, let him, let go, let him. I had a punter, Mike Renault, he's been my chapel leader. And sometimes punters, right? Like, I mean, they're, your job's on the line every punt, right? Like you don't know if you're going to make the next game. And he come back a bad pump. I just say, let go of him. Reset, reset. I just tell him to silence. It's not that I'm like some, I'm not his high performance coach, but I'm just the guy sending this, just reset. Setback, comeback, setback, comeback. So with God, we have a God that orchestrates comebacks every time we have a setback. And for me, that's a reset for me that I know that I know I'm going to stumble, that I know that tomorrow or today or whatever, that I need grace. I'm going to stumble, but I know that we have a God of comebacks and he had the ultimate comeback, right? Like I, like I got a nail here and I just gave this to the Jets virtually because I couldn't do it. I had a chapel on Wednesday and I said to them, he chose the nail. So this is a three inch concrete nail. And when I do this chapel in person, I give them each player a three inch concrete nail. I say, just imagine that being driven through your wrist. And you know, you think about it, like he chose the nails. And so for, for me, that's the ultimate sacrifice. And it gives me the ultimate hope of eternal life. And so for me, that's where I go when I'm stressed. That's where I go now. And does it mean I'm never stressed? No. Does it mean I'm never down? No. Does it mean I'm never anxious? No. But that's where I go. That's what I, where I know he's got me. Uh, Lauren, I wonder if you have an example of anyone when you've walked into a team, anyone who has rejected what you've brought to the table and said, nope. And maybe in the same vein, a story of something like that where somewhere something softened and it became something good. I think of the Bombers as a prime example because I'm around the stadium a bit and you can tell like what after practices I'll be uh, where they go into the dressing room area like from the field and and the guys that know me like my, my boss Dave Clausen was awesome by the way he came and flew in to see me while I was in the hospital and told me you're not losing your job so that was awesome like he's I love that guy anyway so he always told us 
when after the practice or whatever, let your chapel guys go. Like they they love you. They're gonna when you go back to the dressing room, they're gonna come and see you anyways. But try to talk to the guys that you don't know. And you know, you can tell when a guy walks by you, like he's kind of way taking a wide berth because he knows what you do and he kind of doesn't want to talk to you. But you say, Hey, how you doing? Maybe you'll say hi, maybe you won't. But by the end of the year, maybe he thinks, well, hey, maybe you might say hi. And occasionally some of those guys that you could just tell are standoffish, but maybe they haven't ex- been exposed to chaplaincy or, or faith. But then there's been some great stories where they where guys will have come along and all of a sudden, you know, someone like a Drake Nevis will maybe say, hey, maybe you should come out to a Bible study. And then so I'll, I'll say to the guy when he comes to study, sometimes I'll say, hey, wow, hey, hey, you're here. How come you came? Well, Drake thought it was a good idea I come. Well, Drake's like, Drake's like 6'2", 295. I said, how do you say no to Drake, right? Like he's a big guy, right? So, but all seriousness, I mean, they they really looked to him for his wisdom. So um, not just godly wisdom, but just wisdom in general. And and so a guy who maybe was bristly at the start, didn't want anything to do with me, but maybe gets softened, not just by me, but by the players. And that's the cool part is that the guys, it's their ministry. Like I can only be certain places, certain times, but they're with them all the time. So how they live their lives is really what personifies it. Like my my initial chapel leader in my rookie season was Milt Stiegel. Couldn't have a better one. Milt, to this day, we're good friends. And Milt is, again, a big part of our ministry to this day. I uh, just did our pro sports and faith this year. And he always led by example. Like he didn't thump anybody of the Bible, but Milt, everybody knew that Milt's character was so high. And they said, and then guys would want to sit next to him because he was such a good player. They say, I want to be like him. I want whatever he drinks, whatever he eats. And they sit next to Milt long enough and they realize he loves Jesus and he's got high character. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. He loves his family. And um, I heard, I had a teacher say the other day that we can only reach as high as our character will take us. If our character bottoms out at a certain spot, that's as high as we're going to get in life. But if our character, we can take our character as high as we can, then we can go higher. You know, that's, we always try to strive is to try and work on our character. Cause I, I'd rather be working on the guy's character because their character is going to take them higher. So much about relationship, this whole faith thing. And I just know growing up where faith was often viewed as limiting, right? Well, here are the rules. But when, when I hear you talk about it, Lauren, it becomes a freedom and the peace that you are fully accepted. And then we talk about in this podcast, one of our missions is to find the human behind the performance. That's mm-hmm. where the true hero lies. And it presents itself in each of us. And we just have to find it. And you're helping people do that. Thanks. I hope so. If I can, you know, Heather prayed with me before this and we just prayed that one person could be impacted for whatever, whether it's through my mental health disclosure or, or you know, we when I used to work for the Coaches Association of Manitoba, this would, would have been while you were still playing and back in the late 80s. And I remember Dave King, the national hockey team coach, he came and spoke at our thanks coach event. And he said, I'll go to any coaching event. This guy is a top, top amateur coach in the country. He says, if I pick up one thing, then I'm then it's a great conference. Just one thing. So I always always took that away saying, no matter what, whether I've heard it or not before. So I hope if someone just took one thing away today, then that's, that's a, that's a blessing from God. Awesome. Well, we're going to see if we get a few more blessings in our rapid fire questions. Uh, What is your favorite sound? Ball hitting the bat, crack of the bat. No doubt. (laughs) It's to me, especially this time of year within spring, uh, we all say in baseball, hope springs eternal. And that was being said before I even became a Christ follower. Right on. What does being unapologetically human mean to you? And why is this important? Yeah, I kind of touched on it before, Michelle. Like it's, it's that 
we're all broken, right? We're, we're all, and we shouldn't have to apologize for being human and that we are broken and that we all have our hurts, hangups and habits, right? There's all things that we do that we struggle with. But I love the way you guys talk about here in your podcast, unapologetically human. We shouldn't have to apologize, right? We all, God loves us all. And so that's how I look at it. Never, and, and that he picks up our broken pieces and gives us peace. What is something now, you know, when we talk about our life stories, we get to serious things and we talk about things that are really important to us. But what about something funny that's happened to you? Well, I, I'd have to say the Kelly Gruber one has to be the funniest because like to me, like I'm like, like I'm thinking the guy is inviting me back to his room, like room 109. And like, that's and my mother, dummy, it's ROM 10.9. And now that if you confess to your mouth of Jesus, Lord, and God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And that's the verse of salvation. So that to me was my, my funniest, you know, and uh, you know, I'm, I make lots of missteps, I'm sure over the course of a season or whatever. And uh, you know, the guys probably have a good chuckle at times, but yeah, that's probably my funniest one. I'm not sure I'll ever open the Bible to Romans 10 verse nine and not think room 109 from now on. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> hey, Lauren, you've also touched on this a little bit. It, it kind of, you can't help but touch on this. I think when we're sort of talking in a faith kind of way, uh, what does hope mean to you? For me, from a Christian perspective, my hope lies that Jesus Christ is my Lord and savior and that my sins are forgiven past, present, future. And but that I, the, the ultimate hope of salvation that I know that with certainty that I know that when I die here, and I don't know when that could be, could be tomorrow, could be 10 years, whatever, that I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. And that's my hope. And that's the hope that I have and that I can go forward in life because we, we all, we're all going to have our challenges. We're going to have our adversity. But if I have that hope, then maybe it's a little easier to get through you know, that dash they say between our name, uh, the dash between when we're born and when we die. It's a little bit easier to get through the dash when we know that that's where our ultimate hope is. What is your biggest takeaway from the great pause that COVID has created? The main things for me is one I mentioned before is that God is on the throne. He hasn't moved. Like he's still on the throne. We had one of my mentors, Rathy Snacks and Jack Knight, wonderful man, love the guy. He said, right at the start of the pandemic, we had a staff meeting right away on Zoom and we were like, everybody's kind of like freaking out. He says, remember, he was so calm, so sure. He said, remember, God is on the throne. And every time we don't mean, he says, God is on the throne. And I go, wow, like that's powerful. And then that was my, that my one takeaway. Two was family first. Like I've always been a family first guy. I used to have a pitcher named Ace Walker. He used to be the chapel leader for the Gold Eyes. Before he'd pitch, he'd take his hat off. And on his hat, it would say one, two, three. And it would write, God, family, baseball. He'd put that, he, he, before he start the game, he'd take that, look at it, say a little prayer, put it on his head, he pitched the game. He was the best pitcher in our league. And, um, but, you know, so family first was, was really important. Really, for me, for me, took it into perspective, like family. And then pivot, right? We have to pivot and adapt. Um, you and I have both been involved with Team Manitoba. Um, you know, Teddy Bigelow and those guys is drilling in our heads. Like, we're on the hurry up and wait program when we go to the Canada games. Right. And you're all, you never know what to do, but, and when there's a challenge, we had an opportunity, we'll overcome it with um, a solution. There's never a problem with a solution. I just looked at it like that. I thought, well, we just got to adapt. And if we got to do zoom, we got to do zoom. If we have to do something else, then we do it. Right. And I mean, I'm not saying it was all easy, but at the same time I look at it and I go, well, God just blessed me with guide my steps, multiply my time. 
and uh, and help me through it. So yeah, so those are the big takeaways were that, you know, God's still on the throne, uh, family first, and then the fact that we have to just pivot and adapt and do the best that we can. Those are great. Who is the bravest leader you know? Why is that? And what elements of humanness do they display and allow others to display? Well, again, I'm, I know I'm going to sound repetitive, but I'm going to come back to Christ um, because greatest person that ever walked the face of the earth, um, the only person ever was able to walk the face of the earth that didn't sin, but he chose the nails. His dad sent him, his father sent him. He chose the nails. I'd say after that, maybe Paul, the apostle Paul. I mean, he wrote most of his books from prison. I mean, talk about, he's on a ship. He's a shipwreck. He's writing his books from prison. People are trying to kill him. He was originally someone who hated Christians and he, you know, he made a 180 and came on our team, right? And all of a sudden, Paul, like, people wanted to kill him from both sides. He was a really strong, courageous leader as well. So I'd say those two guys are the most bravest leaders that I've, that I know. What is an example of the best in humanity that you have seen during this time? I'd say the frontline workers, without a doubt. Like, I mean, they've been amazing. Like, man, the courage that they have day in, day out. And then not just the frontline workers that we think of, like in the hospitals, which are amazing, but even like the grocery clerks. And I have a good friend that I went to school with. He was like a vice president. He just retired, like just recently. He was vice president superstore in, in out in BC. And I would text him and say, Gordy, just keep it going. Like, and cause like he, he says, yeah, just keep praying for me. We're just trying to keep this grocery line, this grocery chain going. And it's like, so I think of those kind of people that during this thing have been hurt you know, even the, the people that serve us when we want to take out food or whatever, like those people are, are, are courageous too. Right. And um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely frontline workers and people that kept us going. Mm. Who are two or three people who have influenced you and how did they impact your life? Yeah, I, I'd have to, you know, outside of Christ, who I mentioned before, obviously in my first and foremost, but, but I have to, Pat Gillick was a big influence to me when I worked in baseball. He's a former general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays and he arch architected the two world series in 91 or sorry, 92, 93. And I happened to be blessed enough to be involved at that time. And we did a lot of work with the Blue Jays and the Expos, uh, the beloved Expos that we no longer have, but at that time, but Pat Gillick, just a man of integrity, um, but a smart man, a smart baseball man, but his character was very high. And this is before I was a Christ follower. And yet I saw something different in Pat and I, couldn't quit my finger on it, but, but yeah, like I saw that, that character. And then more recently, uh, Mark Chipman, who's a dear friend of mine. Um, yeah. Like we, we, we coached our daughters in hockey. We got to know each other better. Um, when I started coming on in, in ministry, um, I was doing the bombers and the gold eyes and, and I go to him and I said, maybe we can talk about some support for the, for my ministry. And he said, well, I got no one doing the, 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 uh, the moose. Because we didn't have the Jets at the time. And, and, he, and I said, well, I didn't know there was a chaplaincy opening for the Moose. He says, well, you're a hockey guy. Why don't you do the Moose? I go, okay. So that's how I got to do the Moose. And then when the Jets came, Mark said, would you be my, continue to be my chaplain for the Jets? So I was blessed. But through Mark, he has modeled humility. He has modeled character. He has modeled integrity. Um, he has modeled being family first man. I remember when the Jets were here the first year and, Mark got voted the top most influential guy in Winnipeg. Not surprising. I texted him. I said, Mark, congratulations. He says, Lorne, he says, um, I live with his, his wife and his three daughters. He says, I live, I live with four girls and he says, I'm number five in my own household. So I don't know how I could be number one here, but that's Mark to a T, right? He's just the most humble guy that you ever meet him. So 
Before I let you go, Lauren, I have one question that's come to mind. When faith in the media and in this world comes under fire and it and it appears to be painted in such a light of judgment or of exclusion and that kind of thing. And what would you say to encourage those who are looking for their faith, who are trying to grow their faith, but they hear these things and they know that um, uh, they're under fire. What, what would you say to encourage those? Yeah. Um, don't quit. Like think of Paul, apostle Paul. I mean, he didn't quit. Like he didn't, he didn't, he was relentless. Um, I, I would say to my bombers that was bottom of my chapel notes, we would say, persistent consistent men of god persistent be persistent but be consistent with what you do but don't stop pursuing i will say when i used to pursue heather as my bride when i was courting her i'd pursue her and they, they think i'm old today i'd say courting right so they you know i'd say like pursue christ like you want to pursue your wife or your bride to be and so to me i would say to people is don't quit keep pursuing him Trust that he's got a plan. Romans 8, 28, his plan is, is, is a good, and, and Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a good plan, a plan not to harm you, a plan to prosper you. And one of the things I, I give to my players is do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. Because when you make a mistake, you misstep, you say the wrong thing, do the next right thing. And then God will forgive us. He'll pick us up, dust us off, and we go do the next right thing. So just don't give up. And if we're persecuted for our faith, it's because someone's noticed that we have faith. And, and maybe, I mean, it's not good that we, we shout it out and then people are mad at us. But if we're, if we're living in such a way that we're persecuted, well, Christ was persecuted. Paul was persecuted. If we're persecuted, it's because we're probably, because we're doing something right. And the enemy would love to attack when the enemy's not going to attack. If we're not making an impact. I tell my players, when you're laying on a bench press in Topeka, Kansas in the middle of winter, you're not on a platform, but now you're in investor group field, 30,000 people. Now your platform is big. He's going to want to attack. That's when he's going to attack you. Not when you're back in Kansas. So I will say to people, just keep on persevering and don't quit. I just want to thank you for joining us and sharing. We talk about the human inside and it's like you're a human who's helping all the humans around you really look to the inside and know that that's one of the most important things. So thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you, Michelle. And you keep up the great work doing what you're doing and same with Adrian. And but this is important that you guys are doing really good work here. And thank you so much. And that is Lauren Coral, chaplain for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Winnipeg Jets, Manitoba Moose, and more. In the intense world of sport, he helps his athletes find peace, hope, and a faith of their own. I believe that Lauren mirrors the loving father that he believes in and reminds us all that there is more to life than sport. Through the best times and the worst, it's truly what's in your heart above all else that matters. If you liked the story you heard today uh, and you want to hear more, uh, please tell your friends. Subscribe, like us, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and more. You can tag us, tweet about us, and most of all, be inspired. But not by us, by each one of our guests in a different way. These are stories that need to be told, and we're doing that one by one. Heroes in our midst, thanks for listening.